BYOB, the Bring Your Own Book Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tilly. I'm an arts administrator, and I do a lot of theater, and my favorite genres of book to read are fantasy, sci-fi, romance, and contemporary fiction. Hi, I'm Kelly. I'm an actor, and I like to read fantasy, thrillers, and romance novels. And I'm Nikki, and I'm a production manager and technical director in theater, and my favorite genres of books are horror, thriller, and fantasy. Welcome to today's episode. Our first episode, yay. Our first episode is what I meant to say. (laughs) Um, On today's episode, we'll be discussing one of my faves, The Raven Boys by Maggie Stiefvater. And Nikki will be reading a blurb about it. Yes, I'm going to read the synopsis from the back of the book just so everybody's on the same page about what we're getting into here. On the same page. I was going to say that, but then I didn't. But I'm glad you did. (laughs) Every year, Blue Sargent stands next to her clairvoyant mother as the soon-to-be-dead walk past. Blue never sees them, until this year, when a boy emerges from the dark and speaks to her. His name is Gainsey, and he's a rich student at Aglianby, the local private school. Blue has a policy of staying away from Aglianby boys. Known as Raven boys, they can only mean trouble. But Blue is drawn to Gainsey in a way she can't entirely explain. He's on a quest that has encompassed three other Raven boys, Adam, the scholarship student who resents the privilege around him, Ronan, the fierce soul whose emotions range from anger to despair, and Noah, the taciturn watcher who notices many things but says very little. For as long as she can remember, Blue has been warned that she will cause her true love to die. She doesn't believe in true love and never thought this would be a problem. But as her life becomes caught up in the strange and sinister world of the Raven Boys, she's not so sure anymore. So intriguing. Yes. Oh, I have so many feelings about this. I know you do. <laughs> Okay. So, so before we dive into all of our many feelings about this book, uh, we'd just like to tell you a little bit about the drink that we're enjoying uh, in today's episode. So every episode, we'll be picking a drink, a cocktail, a beverage that goes along with the theme of the book we'll be reading. This week, we're drinking something called Black Magic. The ingredients are 2.5 ounces of black vodka three-fourths ounce of freshly squeezed lime juice, and three-fourths ounce simple syrup, ice, and then added to that is Wilton Edible Pearl Dust. It says in white, but we have it in green. It looks really pretty. It's all glittery. Yeah, it's super beautiful. Dark. Yes. Take a little sip. Ready for a sip, everyone? Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Mmm. Delicious. Yeah, that was really good. Kelly, why don't you start us off on the rating you gave this book? Okay, so we're going to rate every book we read out of five stars. And we all have our different reasonings for how we rate the books, what a five star rating means versus what a one star rating means. And I gave this book a four star rating because I really loved all of the Raven Boy characters. I loved their friendship together, which we will get into Um, I really thought Blue was pretty cool, and all of the women in her family were really interesting with their psychic abilities, and I wanted to learn more about that. I loved the adventure, the camaraderie. Yeah, I just thought it was a really fun book, and I wish I had learned about this earlier, like when it first came out, because I feel like I would have just been so obsessed with it. Which, I mean, lucky for me, now I know about it, and now I can read the whole series and not have to wait for the next one to come out. So, yeah. Lucky me. (laughs) Four to five stars. Really liked it. Um, How did you feel about it, Tilly? Uh, Yeah, I also really enjoyed the book. Uh, So we should say that this was published in 2012, as Kelly mentioned, had been out for a while. So there uh, are three other books in the series that are out as well. Um, So this is actually my second time reading this book. I've read the whole series, and 
I reread it for this podcast. So when I initially read the book uh, the first time, I also gave it a four out of five. But then upon rereading this time around, I gave it a five out of five because there were so many little Easter eggs for me to find now that I know how the whole narrative of the story plays out. So it was a really great reread because there were so many hints and foreshadows and all sorts of creepy little things that I could pick up on knowing how it all ends. So I agree. I really love the friendships between the boys. I love the setting. I love all the kind of like dark atmospheric writing. And I was just really interested in uh, living in a house full of female psychics. That sounds like (laughs) honestly my dream. (laughs) So I really love this book and I'm glad you guys did too. Nikki, what was your star rating? My star rating was a five. I think after the first chapter with the boys, I was hooked I could not put the book down, and I was so upset when it was over. Um, I know that there's uh, three other books in the series and then a spinoff series, but that didn't stop the feelings that overcame me. Um, I There were so many things I was just enamored with with this book. The writing was so nice. The characters were so developed, and they were just so interesting to read about. They were really dynamic. And I feel like the storyline and the plot as well were also very good. So those are all just things that culminated for me to be like, I really, I couldn't find any faults with it, (laughs) with all those things. Yeah. I totally agree about the character development now that you've said that, because I found myself sympathizing with a lot of the characters, like even characters who weren't necessarily, you know, quote unquote, uh, good or, you know, quote unquote, bad, whatever that means to you. Um, yeah, I thought Maggie Steve Otter did a really good job at doing her job <laughs> creating these <laughs> wonderful characters for us to um, love and try to understand and want to spend time with. So yeah, I totally mm-hmm. agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I really love all the kind of influences of the like Welsh and like Arthurian yeah. mythology. I thought there were a lot of really interesting motivations that every character had. It wasn't just, you know, a a one single layer story. I felt there were so many threads that were woven into it that made it really, really compelling and made you kind of really root for each character, like you were saying, Kelly. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you like the sound of this book, or if you liked this book and wanted to read something similar, I can give you a quick little book recommendation for something that I found to be quite comparable, which is um, a different series by Maggie Steve Otter. It's also paranormal, it's about werewolves, but there is the same kind of dreamy, romantic, lyrical quality to the writing. So the first book in that series, which I believe the series is called The Wolves of Mercy Falls, the first book is called Shiver. And I would definitely say the first book of the series is the best. I think after that, the other two kind of fell off the wagon a bit for me. They weren't quite as um, compelling, but I would still recommend the first book in that series as something that is thematically on par with this book, The Raven Boys. Cool. That's on my list to read. Yeah, same. I have a copy. I'll lend it to you. (laughs) Okay, great. Thank you. (laughs) I think we're moving into our spoiler full synopsis and many, many feelings. Yes. So if you have not read this book, I would recommend that you stop our podcast now. Make sure you subscribe and go pick up The Raven Boys, read it in its entirety, and then come back and listen to our discussion. So if you don't want to hear any spoilers, you should leave now. Yeah, skedaddle. (laughs) Booth skin skedaddle. (laughs) Bye. Okay. Oh my god. Just... I don't even know where to start. Oh, I do. Where are we starting? (laughs) The boys, their friendship is like, what? It's so refreshing to read a book, whether it's YA or adult, that has a bunch of men, I guess. They're like 16, 17, yeah. yeah. 16 or 17. Okay, young men, let's say. But boys having real, like complex relationships with their friends caring about each other none of this toxic masculinity when someone's upset they cry it's okay they get into an argument they deal with it 
you know, they're not perfect human beings, but it's not like, get up, stop being upset, be a man. Like, it's none of that toxic crap. It was just so, so nice to read. And I I remember sitting there thinking to myself, have I ever seen this in my life growing up? Like, when I was a kid? I don't think so. I don't think I ever had an experience growing up as a kid or as a teenager where I saw a bunch of guy friends treating each other like that. And it's really sad because that shouldn't be like an outlier, you know? Like Mm. when I was reading it, it felt like a group of girlfriends. And I don't mean that in a mean or rude way. Like I think it's unfortunate that a lot of boys don't, they're not raised in the way to like be sensitive and like care about their friends in the way that girls tend to care about their friends. And it's Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was really refreshing. Yeah, it was nice to see all of the boys when they were in conflict with one another and how they chose to deal with that conflict. I think when you're mad, obviously people get angry and they can yell and they can say hurtful things. That's just life and everybody deals with stuff like that. We can't all be perfect 100% of the time. (laughs) But seeing the way that they come back together after that was the part for me that was really important, seeing all of their tenderness towards each other and how they each, especially with Ronan's character, we see him and Gainsey butting heads a lot, but the way that Gainsey chooses to look at Ronan and how he's showing his anger and displaying his emotions, he's he's never kind of saying, oh, you're just mad all the time, fuck you mm-hmm. right he's saying he's doing this because he's hurt and he they all have a lot more emotional stability than anybody i've ever met in my life honestly <laughs> to right. have the wherewithal to say this person's not doing this to me they're doing this because of something else mm-hmm. right yeah i think they're all really great examples of like really emotionally intelligent people who are able to kind of separate themselves from a conflict. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also their their relationship, all four of them. It's a really great example of people choosing their own family, because I think all four of them have difficult relationships in different degrees to their biological families. And so I think at the end of the day, they become more like brothers than like friends. And so brothers fight, but they get back to being brothers again (laughs) yes and i also want to say because let's not forget blue um when i was a kid growing up i i kind of hate the term now but i always referred to myself as a tomboy um but now i kind of hate it but i don't know what else to say i was who i was (laughs) when i was a kid growing up and i hung out with a lot of boys when i was when i was younger and it was fine it wasn't a big deal but then you got to a certain age and i think for me it was grade five or grade four like going into grade five and suddenly the boys didn't want to hang out with you And at least in my experience in my life, um, it was just very much like boys against girls, didn't want to hang out with you, like you were dumb, like all this stuff. It was really gross. It was awful. And it was great to see a group of teenage boys not being gross with Blue and actually caring about her and in like a sisterly, friendly way, like actually caring. You know, of course... Adam has a crush on her, but they're not gross about it. They're like, go talk to her, blah, blah, blah. You know, like they're encouraging. But yeah, it wasn't gross. It wasn't like, oh, stupid girl, get out of here. Like toxic masculinity. You know, it was not that. It was great. (laughs) Um, I definitely think having read some of her other books that Maggie Stiefvater has a real talent for writing um, really compassionate, really empathetic characters that while they do have their flaws, are able to kind of deal with them in a way that feels really relatable and and true, but that they're also kind of, obviously we should mention, they're also fictionalized people. They're not real. (laughs) And I think she is good at creating these kind of idealized versions of boys that we can fall in love with. It's hard not to fall in love with them. Mm -hmm. She makes it very hard. They all have something that is just so real and so sweet about them. And I guess in a way this isn't good, but I I find it's good in a novel at least. All of their nice, lovely traits kind of cancel out 
the things that aren't so good about them, <laughs> um, which in real life isn't healthy to do all the time, but they're, they're fictional, you know? I mean, the when I think about that or when I say that, I'm, I guess I'm specifically kind of talking about Ronan because mm. he, if we didn't hear what the boy said about him in the first book, you would be like, this guy sucks and he's so <laughs> mean all the time. Why does anybody want to be around him? Because you don't get anything from him. The only thing you get from him in the first book is anger and aggression but through the other boy's eyes, you see what is really, like, deep down. And you see the kind of little things that he does for them that that makes them say, oh, Ronan does care, and he's just having a hard time. Yeah, and with Chainsaw, his uh, it's a crow, right? His pet crow. No, it's a raven. It's a raven. Yeah. The raven boys, yes. Kelly. Yeah, but isn't their mascot a raven as well at school? Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Tilly. It's all ravens all the time. <laughs> Crows and ravens are very similar. I'm just saying. They're both great. They, you, you're right. It's <laughs> it's easy to get confused with them. I'm yeah. no bird expert, whatever that word is. Birdologist or whatever. Ornith aviary. Ornithologist. <laughs> this is when you say, That's we're cutting word. that out. And I say, no, we're not. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but no, it's true. He is very caring and... I will say, I feel like if I watched this as a movie without any, like, subtext or anything of just, like, a group of boys being like this, I would be like, this isn't believable because you're not seeing the perspectives of the other boys and the insights. So if I just watched it, I'd be like, I wish, you know, like, this is stupid. Like, I wish it could be like this. I don't believe it for a second, you know? But because we get all the insight and all this, like, backstory info from the friends... It's great. It's just like, oh, you just want to like give them all a hug. You know, we can't right now because pandemic, but one day we will give a hug. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually, talking about if it were a movie, because I think obviously books being made into movies can happen in all kinds of ways. And I think they should always be kind of viewed as separate because yes. they are like completely different forms of art. But I think there are some movies or some books that really lend themselves to becoming a movie. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really sure this is one of them, just for that same reason, where there's so much um, insight that you get from being kind of in their perspectives and in everyone's thoughts that I think would not really come across in a visual medium in the same way. Yeah, I think it could be done, but you'd have to go about it a very particular way. Because, I mean, as we said in our intro, we all have a background in theater and mine is primarily as a performer and you could like change the script to make it a bit more like uh, like show more than have uh, try to find some weird roundabout way to like have the boys insight come through. Right. But like, I just feel like it's better as a book. If they make a movie, I will go see it. You know, I will see it. I will see it. I will. For yeah, sure I want to know who plays Gansey. I I don't know if I would see it. I, I mean, I really? would because I love it, mm. but I feel like it might ruin it for me because I have this picture in my head of what everybody looks like and how mm. they sound and what they wear. And mm. I just feel like there's so many opportunities for a movie to ruin that for me. Mm -hmm. When I think about movies that got it like spot on, the only ones I can think of are, like, Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. How about Harry Potter? Yeah, yeah, Harry Potter, too. Like, the first two. The first two were, like, wow. my Yeah, because the books were short enough to actually do the whole thing. <laughs> I, I don't know if I would enjoy it just based on that stuff. But also, I agree with them having to show more. And usually in movies, that lends itself to being kind of cheesy- Imagine mm. all the special effects they try to pump in there, and I'd be like, oh, we don't need it. Yeah. The special <laughs> effects is in the story. <laughs> yeah, and I do think it's really a testament to the author's style of writing yeah. that I think it's really easy to connect with in a book and maybe maybe more difficult to connect with as a movie. But who knows? If she could write the screenplay, maybe it would be fabulous. Yes. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about... That teacher dude. I don't remember his name. Barrington Welk. 
Oh, oh my God. God. I was going to yes. say it was a shell. Shell. I wish it was shell. Barrington? Why would you do that to a child? I don't understand. Is anyone out there named Barrington? I'm sorry. I don't hate it. Let me know. What? That's rich folks for you. Mm-hmm. It's extremely, like, private school boy. Quilk. Barrington Quilk. Mm-hmm. The third. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Gansey's the third, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah. he's Dick. Dick yeah. Gansey. Richard Dick Gansey the third. <laughs> what did you want to say about Barrington? Just that oh, his name sucks? Well, that. Thank you. Um, also, that he's just awful. Like, I feel kind of bad for him at times. And that's going back to how I said earlier that Maggie Steve Otter, like, really does a good job at making you feel for the characters. But I also am like, you are awful. You know what I mean? He's just terrible when he friggin' with his character because we haven't read the books in a little. Yeah, I think after we've read it and having time to kind of reflect on what happens in the book, I feel a lot worse for him now than I did while I was reading it. Because when I was reading it, I was really just focused on all of the shitty things he was doing, and then looking back Mm -hmm. on it, I just think about. When everything started with him, he was 17 years old. He was a kid. He lost everything in his life. His parents lost all of their money. He lost everything that he had ever known. And he was trying desperately to find something to help bring all of that back. And while I don't agree that killing his friend was a good thing to do, I or sacrificing him, essentially, I, I do feel more for him on the kind of helplessness of I I can't do anything for myself. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Where am I going from here? And I I feel for that being the catalyst for everything. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think he's a really interesting parallel to Gansey, where mm-hmm. they both have this kind of obsession with Glendower and with kind of the idea of a sleeping king who can grant you one wish. And I think the biggest difference between them is in their character, which is that Barrington Welk um, snapped and killed his best friend, and there's no possible way in the universe that Gansey would ever do that. But I think there is a similarity between them both feeling desperate and having lost something. And for Barrington, it was all of his money and all of his prestige and his family and everything. And then for Gansey, it was that he literally lost his life and then was brought back for some unknown reason. And he's just looking for that reason. Mm -hmm. So I really love thinking about them as kind of like two sides of a coin and one could go one way and one could go the other way. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I'm just, maybe I'm just more, um, I don't want to say I'm very black and white on issues because I think a lot of issues have like gray areas, you know? (laughs) Maybe it's the Libra in me who's just like, I understand where he's coming from. And I'm not saying that you both are excusing it because you're definitely not, but I'm just like, really, dude? Because there's two different types of people, I think. Like when you're down and out, you will do something about it or you'll take it you'll put it against yourself and there's people who put it against others and just like Mm. lash out. And that's where the flip side of the coin is for me is like Gansey would not do that. It's all on him. It's he's very like the martyr, which, you know, that's a whole other thing. But when Barrington Welk gets down and I, I understand he had a lot going on, but like, you can't do what you did. I'm sorry. And no. was, was we're going to get into Noah now, Noah was his best friend or it was just a friend that he thought he could sway? I think it was his only friend. See, that's even worse. Like, I totally understand. But also, fuck you. <laughs> like, I can't. Yeah. I just, oh. Yeah. But and we got to talk. Oh, sorry. Oh, no. I was just going to say, um, like, moving on to Noah mm-hmm. from Barrington and kind of connecting them. It was really interesting to read through the book how um, Barrington kind of tries to logicalize what he did to Noah and how he kind of goes back and forth between being like, he was a really good friend. And then he kind of shoves that down and he goes, no, he was just this guy who followed me around and he was really annoying. 
And then those feelings would start to creep up again. And he'd be like, oh, but he's really loyal. And he was so nice. No, he was nothing. He was just a device I was using to get what I wanted. And that, to me, made me feel more for Barrington than I would have otherwise, because you could see him like grappling with those things throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Also, Kelly, it's okay that you didn't like Barrington well. Yeah, he's oh, definitely I know. supposed to be the villain. <laughs> yeah, I don't oh, like I him. Oh. No, no, I don't like him either. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying <laughs> just to be clear. Did. Oh, yeah, no, his yeah. name is Barrington Welk, okay? Yeah, no. only, only a mother could love him. <laughs> could she? Clearly she didn't. Look what happened to her child. It starts and ends with the parents, okay? <laughs> Nature versus nurture, Kelly. Yep. Yeah. We're actually a parenting podcast now. <laughs> I don't have any kids yet, but I've worked with a lot of kids. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just saying. But yes, Noah. Oh my god, when I first read that when I when we found out that he was a ghost, I was like, oh, everything makes sense because I remember because you two had read it before I finished reading it. And so I was like, okay, trying mm-hmm. to catch up. And you were like, oh my god, I love all the Raven boys. And I'm like, how the hell can you like Noah? Because he's barely in it. Like, I feel like I don't know him yet. Like, where is he? The bomb drops that Noah is dead and that he's been dead this whole time. And suddenly the boys, which, I mean, we said that they're not perfect, though. So here's an example. They didn't notice that Noah wasn't in any classes. (laughs) He just kind of disappeared all the time. (laughs) Like, what? You know? Yeah. And they talk about how his room is always pristine, clean, his bed's always made, and everything like that. And they're just like, yeah, that's just Noah. Yeah. Just really clean, and he hates pizza. Yeah, except why would his room be clean, but his face was always a little, like, dirty, or uh, what's They it, called what him they smudgy. Yeah. Yeah, so cute. Smudgy. I always thought that was a really <laughs> nice indicator of the boy's friendship they're like you know what that's just noah he loves keeping his room clean sometimes he's a little anxious he doesn't want to be out and about and we love him for that (laughs) and because blue i don't know if we mentioned this yet but blue isn't psychic herself but all of the women in her family have some kind of psychic ability and her ability is that she doesn't really have an ability she just amplifies the abilities around her whenever she's around the boys Noah's presence gets stronger and it gets amplified. And I didn't pick up on this until after I knew that he was a ghost because he really loved Blue. He was, um, in the book, it was like, oh, he was like playing with her hair and like leaning on her shoulder and like all these little cute, friendly things. And I just thought, oh, that's nice. I didn't really clue in until we learned he was a ghost. Yeah. And also, I'm just going to drop this in here because I was shooketh by this when he we find out he's dead and everything but one of the first things he says when he meets Declan's girlfriend Ashley is she goes oh your hand's cold and he goes yeah I've been dead for seven years (laughs) and I just read that and I was like haha self-deprecating humor whatever but it was just the truth yeah, that was one of the most fun little moments I had on the reread is I read that and I was like, that's the first thing he says and no one picks up on the fact that he's actually telling the truth? How wild is that? Because when I first read the book, I was the same way. I was just like, ah, ha, ha. people just, you know, say things like that. Ah, ha, ha, so funny. But then it, you know, he's literally telling her what's going on with him. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like Seinfeld or something like, I told you the whole time. <laughs> yeah. God. I can't believe. So wait, he's been dead for, oh, seven years, you said. <laughs> seven years. So he's been stuck as a 17-year-old for seven years. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, and boy. Yeah. Year. He stays mentally 17. But are you sure he stays? Me- like, do you think ghosts can, like, grow in maturity as they age, or? I think in this series, No. I'm saying that purely because since I've read that, I've read other, like the other other books in the series, and things that happen, I'm just like, that's something a 17-year-old boy would do. Oh, boy. <laughs> There's just, there are certain things that happen where I'm, I'm just like, no grown-ass man. That's not true. That's not true. Not no grown ass man, but it's definitely something in the realm of a teenage boy. 
So I really do think that he stayed the same. Okay. To be fair, if he's if it's seven years, he'd only still be twenty four. And that's basically even if seven. he did grow mentally. That's not a huge. That's basically seventeen. That's like a seventeen year old lady. <laughs> yeah. I think it does make sense, though. It's almost like he's frozen in time. Like, you know, kind of when he died, his body remains the same age. And I think it makes sense that his soul, ghostly essence, would also stay the same. Because it's not like he has a a brain anymore that's still growing. That's true. I Mm -hmm. mean, Casper the Friendly Ghost stays whatever age he was. What the hell was he? Who knows? Like, 10? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, and I don't know, maybe maybe ghosts do mature or whatever through time, but he is also spending time around a bunch of 17-year-old boys. So how much maturing can he really do when he's just around a whole bunch of young boys? Hey, listeners, anyone a ghost out there? (laughs) Could you tell us? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, that's a good question, though. Do we know how Noah ended up being friends with the other Raven boys? I don't think so. Didn't they just say one day he was just there? But why would he do that? Like, what was his motivation? Do you think he'd been watching them and he knew that maybe Gansey was really interested in Glendower and the ley line and that he would have a good chance of being discovered by these boys? Or do you think he just liked to be around them? I I think it's the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it can be a mixture. But, like, because, you know, you spend time with people and you grow to like them and stuff but most mm-hmm. of like if you didn't you wouldn't spend time around them yeah no, I so i think that it started probably from him wanting to be around them because of glendower and the ley line and which would make sense because he died on the ley line so he would feel attracted to that kind of thing yeah we got to talk about when they go into that weird whatever that place is called, like on the ley lines, like in that little- Cape's water. Yes. Oh my God. It's been so long since I read this. I'm like, ah. But that was so cool, but also very creepy in a way because I was like, oh my God, like what would I see in that tree? And just, that's just so spooky. Can you imagine just be like, I'm on a walk with the dog, whatever. The dog wants to go into this like little cave thing. And then suddenly we're in like, winter you know what i mean it's like summer out and suddenly we're in winter like what just happened you know we're in canada yeah. but like wow that's that's quite the shift <laughs> i know it was very like narnia-esque yes. you know going from one environment to another that's something i really love about all of maggie stiefvater's books is just this kind of paranormal like almost unspeakable horror sometimes and she, I think, does a really great job of melding these, like, soft romantic relationships with this kind of dark, ultra-important, like, life-or-death crisis of mythology and other things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I've always loved mythology, but I, al- I also have always found mythology a little creepy, but I love it. Like, I don't know, I don't know why I think it's a little creepy sometimes, but I mean, some of it is pretty creepy, you know what I mean? But yeah, I just, that part was really cool. And it also made me sad too, because um, Adam, poor little Adam. Oh, he just breaks my heart. And I want to just cradle him and marry him. And just, yeah. I don't want to marry him, him. but I just want to hug him. (laughs) I love him so much. And this book... Really, I was expecting the book to be a lot more about Blue and Gansey, just based on what you hear about it and everything. And I think that the way they set it up with Adam and her kind of having this thing, there's four books, so obviously they're not going to stay together, I don't think. I really do think that Gansey is her true love. Just because of the what everybody kind of uh, implies when you see things about the book. But at this point, I just don't really know if I want that to happen because I am so invested in Adam mm-hmm. and his just pure, not pure, his just his little heart. 
I'm so it's scared so broken. for Adam. I'm I know. so scared he's going to die. I'm like, please, I can't. 2021 just started, and it's like, what? I can't go through Adam's death. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> I can't. Oh, God. I'm keeping my mouth tactfully shut because I have read all of them. Oh, my God. Was that, like, the biggest hint? Is he no, I'm just saying that's why I'm not talking. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not engaging in speculation. Oh, I like and that I'm line. I'm extremely neutral. I like that line. I'm not engaging in speculation. <laughs> hmm, I like that. It's like from Hamilton. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to sound harsh. No, no. I thought it sounded okay. really cool. Like, you know, next time you're at work with other people around, what a concept. You and Someone's trying to gossip around the water cooler and you're like, I don't um, engage in speculation. <laughs> I love it. Let's remind the readers and me, because it's been a while. What did the boys see in that weird magical tree thing? So I don't think Gansey was in the tree. Was he? Yes, he I was. Think he just didn't say. Okay. Yes, he did say. Oh, he, oh oh because i remember blue saw her and gansey kissing in the car in the camaro yes adam saw gansey die <gasps> i don't remember what gansey saw gansey saw himself looking at glendower right <gasps> i wasn't really interested in that one because i was like yeah yeah we get it you're looking for glendower I was like moving on to Adam. <laughs> oh, I was interested in all of them because I was just like, I was still trying to figure out the tree. Like, is this like the mirror of Erised from Harry Potter where it's like you see what you most want, but it's not a predictor of the future or like what's going on here? Because yeah. And also maybe he saw or will see Glendower, but it doesn't mean that he's he has accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. Like, what if he's dead, and that's why he's able to see Glendower, because he's dead with Glendower? <laughs> like, I don't know, right? I didn't even think about that. I think that it's um, possibilities. Like, maybe they're seeing, like, what could happen right now if you don't do something different, or something along those lines. Like a tarot I don't know. reading. Yeah. Mm, like earlier in the book. Yes. I love it. Nikki always reads our tarot cards for us. She's so good at it. Oh, thank you. Um, do we want to get to some questions or do we have anything else we want to talk about? Um, I don't remember. Oh, one thing I wanted to say just about the writing style and stuff because I I felt like this book was done really well because there were a lot of things in it that could have sounded really pretentious and not like things that I would roll my eyes at that she did a really good job at like integrating into the story. Well, like Gansey chews mint leaves. <laughs> what the fuck? Get some gum. <laughs> like a cow. Just like. <laughs> and the fact that he is like, yeah, Gansey pulls mint leaves out of his pocket and eats them. And I'm like, yeah, what with this pocket lint? Gross. Like, <laughs> But Kate, if you <laughs> ate or were chewing on a mint leaf, like I don't, I don't know, I don't do this. So can someone let me know, like you two or listen? I don't know. Do you swallow the leaf after, or do you spit it out? Like I know it's edible, but like, do you just swallow it? I don't know. I feel like that's weird to just like take a leaf and be like, I know it's not like a leaf from a tree, but like it also kind of is. I mean, you can eat it. Yeah, but like, would you? By the time you're done chewing on it to get the flavor, you might as well just swallow it because it's probably just really disintegrated. People are like, what's wrong with Kelly? It's a fucking mint leaf. <laughs> Whatever. Moving on. I agree. <laughs> Do you guys have a favorite part of the book? <sighs> a favorite part? Or a favorite line? I'm trying to find the quote that I liked. Um, it was about... Uh, I had marked it originally, so I'm just trying to look it up. But it was about how, like, if you want to learn a secret, you have to, like, be ready for it or something. Like, it was that old guy. <laughs> I forget his name. <laughs> Talking to Gansey. The old, oh, Mallory. Yes. It was about um, secrets. 
a fun little literary reference there with Mallory, because the original Arthurian myths were, I think, first written about by Sir Thomas Mallory, spelled the same way. So I think that's a little nod to a historical figure. Oh, that's so cool. I like that. Um, My favorite part of the book is when Adam betrays his father in uh, Ronan's favor so that Ronan doesn't go to prison because he knows if he mm-hmm. gets in trouble again, he's going to get arrested. He's going to get kicked out of school and Ronan's already not having a good time. So the part kind of where it starts, it's on page 344. Gainsey said, you won't leave because of your pride. Ronan was defending me. Adam's mouth was dry as the dirt around them. The officer's expression focused on him as he went on. From my father, all this is from him, my face and my. His mother was staring at him. He closed his eyes. He couldn't look at her and say it. Even with his eyes closed, he felt like he was falling, like the horizon pitched, like his head tilted. Adam had the sick feeling that his father had managed to knock something crucial askew. And then he asked what he couldn't say before. He asked, can I press charges? Mm. I cried during that part. Yeah, that was a really powerful section of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was one of the most real moments in terms of what can actually happen to a person. Mm -hmm. And she wrote it so well, I felt and I just, I had to put the book down for a few minutes after because I was just trying to, like, gather myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Adam. I know. Um, I think for me, I had a quote I really liked, but I can't find the page right now, so that's my bad. But um, I think one of my favorite parts in the book was when they are in Cave's Water and they're with the trees and the tree starts speaking to them. I thought that was really, really cool because I, I mean, I love trees. I think trees are beautiful. They're also kind of like magical and can be creepy at times too. And I just love when we see in literature or movies or lore um, that trees are alive and have like a mind of their own and stuff because I think there are actually studies saying that they kind of do in a way. So I just think that was so cool. And I love that they spoke Latin. I thought that was like really interesting because they're in this other time, this other world of sorts. So it makes sense that the trees would speak Latin. And of course, Ronan, (laughs) the like stereotypical like Irish Catholic guy, he's the only one who does really well in Latin. Yeah, and it's the only subject that he really puts effort into learning. It's like his one kind of passion. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, in in the next book, it becomes really clear why that is. I'm so excited. But also, wouldn't you think that Gansey would be good at Latin because he's all into, like, searching for Glendower? You'd think learning Latin would be very useful for him to know. Like, get on it. I think he... Yeah, I think he is interested in it, and I think he, they're both in class together. I think Ronan is just naturally gifted at Latin, and Gansey struggles with it more. Mm-hmm. Okay, my bad. Sorry, Gansey. Keep keep trying. <laughs> I thought he, it, he'll forgive you. I thought it was just like he wasn't applying himself. I'm like, you should apply yourself, but no, no. Okay, cool, cool. I just think it's the one kind of subject that Ronan does better in, mm. naturally. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. One of my favorite parts of the book is when the boys come in for a card reading that, uh, from Mora, who is Blue's mom, and her friends Persephone and Kala are also present at the reading, and Kala has this unique ability to be able to uh, touch something and understand its history, and I think something about it. That's how she does her psychic readings, is through this kind of like tactile uh, relationship. And she touches Ronan's tattoo, who is skeptical about the validity of the readings and is wondering if it's even worth their time to be there and is being, frankly, quite rude. (laughs) And uh, Kala just stomps right up to him and touches the tattoo, I think, at the base of his neck. 
and then tells him something extremely personal and secretive that he feels and it really shakes him and he leaves i just i love that section i think it's a really uh, i think all of the readings for all of the boys and blue's involvement and everything it's all just really um i think it's just all, all really great and compelling stuff yeah mm. yeah i think the the way that she talked about ronin she being maggie how she wrote ronin and his backstory and how she kind of put in these little tidbits of facts throughout the book was really clever because even though I I like didn't like Ronan but I knew deep down that I did I was always interested in what was going on with him because you find out at the beginning his father is dead and apparently there was this huge secret and Ronan knows what it is but he won't tell anybody. So the whole book, every time Ronan showed up, I was hyper aware of what was going on, trying to find a clue of what happened. Because I was really interested to know they, um, Gansey kind of references, oh, Ronan, a few years ago, Ronan did this thing, he smiled or he laughed, and it, it sounded like the old Ronan before his father died. And so that made me really interested in knowing what happened, what could have, what could be so bad that he's now such a jaded person. Mm -hmm. You know, I just thought of something. Um, I was reading something the other day and I didn't even think about it until now when we were doing this podcast recording, but um, Gansey's allergic to bees, right? It's not wasps, it's Mm -hmm. bees. Um, bees are actually quite important in like spirituality and like lore and i didn't know that and i was like what so i want i just think it's interesting because he's like on this like spiritual journey of source because he's like lost his purpose and he's like trying to follow the ley lines and find the ley lines and find glendower but the bee which is like this huge spiritual symbol for some people um it will kill him. And I just think, wow, that's really interesting. I wonder if she, Maggie Steve Otter, knew that or if it was just a coincidence. But yeah, I'm just like, whoa, 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 wait a sec. Because also there's the whole prophecy, right? Of like, Blue will fall in love with Gansey, kiss him, and he'll die. It's wasps. Oh, damn it. Okay. Well... Sorry, I looked it up because something in another book, they go, oh, yeah, wasps. And I was like, was it bees the first time? It's wasps. That's a really weird word to say that often. That'd be a great, uh, that's a really interesting observation, though. I'm. It's too bad it's wasps. Yeah. yeah. But isn't that crazy, though? Because I literally mm-hmm. just learned that the other day. And then I just thought of that now. I was like, <gasps> you know, like. It will kill him. I've cracked it. I've cracked the code. <laughs> Stay away from the bees. No. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Wow. Well, thanks, though. Because I was like, <gasps> okay. Shook. <laughs> also, we don't know. The prophecy is that if Blue kisses her true love, he will die. We don't know if that's Gansy or not. No. He said, um. Because she kind true. of kisses Gansy. She, like, kind of says, like, how she loves all of them. Although... You don't really see her interact with Ronan at all. Yeah. That's true. It is a super fair assumption to make. I just wanted to be like... Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. But also, what if it was like a Frozen twist where like they're like true loves, whatever, will break the spell, whatever it was in Frozen. And everyone thought, oh, it's going to be Kristoff or Hans or whoever the hell a guy is. It's been a long time. Sorry. Um, but then it turns out to be Anna and it's sisterly love. So what if... But why would you kiss someone who you didn't love love? I don't know. <laughs> but she loves all the boys, you know? But all on the that same note, I do think it's one of the boys because that's what yeah. the book is about. But what if oh, something sure. happened to Mora and she kissed her forehead and then Mora died? Because it doesn't I mean, say you have to kiss somebody on the lips. That's true. It does say true love, though. So I think that might rule out, like, familial I don't know. Love? But maybe it doesn't. I mean, true love could be, like, your soulmate can be all sorts of people, not just romantic. That's what I meant. So, I didn't mean, like... It, yeah, there's something to that. I didn't mean it wasn't going to be one of the boys. I just meant, like, 
maybe it's not going to be like a sexual romantic love. Like maybe it's like she has a real connection to one of the boys. She gives him a kiss somewhere. I don't know where, you know, forehead, mouth. <laughs> On his elbow. <laughs> I'm going to say something. Yeah. Going. <laughs> his dick. No. Yeah. Antissa. Yeah, Richard Dick. Gainsy. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I thought, I don't know. That's just a thought. I'm probably mm-hmm. thinking way too much. <laughs> but yeah. I love it. Thanks. Okay, so we've obviously talked about this a little bit, but I think it bears uh, repeating. Who is your favorite Raven boy? Adam. Okay, I've only read the first book so far, but I'm going to say Adam. No reasoning? Nobody? <laughs> what? No reasoning or anything? Everyone's oh, you want to reason? We're doing oh, rapid fire just... questions? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, quick. I just got too excited thinking about him. <laughs> this is why it's a podcast, everyone. No. <laughs> Um, no, okay, I'll explain, I guess. I love Adam because he's just so sweet and he means well and I just I just want to give him a hug. And I I think he's the character that I mean, I've only read the first book so far, but he's the character that I worry the most about. Like about his well-being and about what's going to happen to him next, what's the end of his story in this series? Like I really really want to know. Um I love his interactions with Blue. I think he's, I'll say it again, he's so sweet. Um, I am really interested in his um, dynamic with Gansey and that jealousy, but also admiration at times. Mm. And I think that's very relatable to a lot of people, like whether you have siblings. Sometimes there's that one person where you're like, oh, like I love them, but I also really fucking hate them, you know? And it's like, like you want to be them, but you can't. And like, I don't know, it just... I just feel like he's going through a lot and he had a really hard upbringing and I just, I could just go on and on. I just really love him. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with a lot of that. And I think for me, one of the big things that makes me love Adam so much is he's such a hard worker. Mm -hmm. I, that's something that I really value in my real life and like real relationships is surrounding myself with people who are actively striving to better themselves and, if they have goals, trying to reach them instead of just talking about what they're going to do, like putting their best foot forward kind of thing. And you see that through the first book and you continue to see that through the series as he tries to work his way up from living in a trailer park, getting into this really prestigious boarding school, working three jobs to pay for it, maintaining good grades so he can have a scholarship, and also trying to fit in with this group of boys, but also actively trying to make sure he's separate from them because he doesn't want to be mistaken for just another rich kid who doesn't know what's going on in the world and has it all. And actually, quickly before we move on, I now that you've said that, yeah, I think I think he's very relatable to a lot of people reading the books because I feel like a lot of people feel like an outsider at times and like as an actor, wow, like you are always comparing yourself to others and wanting what other people have and all this stuff. And I just think like, he's so relatable to so many people that, yeah, I think he, I mean, again, I've only read the first book, but I think he is a very, very complex character that could easily be brushed aside as like, oh yeah, he's sensitive and he's got some issues at home. But yeah, I think he's very complex. Mm Mm-hmm. It was uh, interesting to note that on my second read of this book, um, initially I had, on my first read I also fell in love with Adam. He's very much my type of person who I'm very attracted to, <laughs> which is, you know, that he's a, a sweet person, he's gentle and intelligent and good at talking about his feelings, and he is a hard worker, he's motivated, he knows what he wants to do with his life. Um, And on my second read, I was expecting to feel the same way, and I did to a certain extent, but I also found myself um, noticing Gansey more, Mm. and I think I really connected with his, I think, main thing that's focused on in this book, which is that he has two sides to him, and he can turn it on and turn it off, 
and it's kind of that, I think Blue calls it like the sparkly, like Gansy face. And it annoys her because it makes her feel insecure. It makes her feel like she's not good enough and that he's this kind of like arrogant person, but it's not who he really is. Who he really is, is a kind of like this history nerd who gets passionate about something and he has all these deep, dark insecurities and fears himself that stem from his deathly allergy and also his relationship with his parents and his relationship with money. And I don't know, I, I found myself really more drawn to Gansey on this reread. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I found that at the beginning of the book, I didn't like him very much. I was mm-hmm. kind of like, whatever, I'm over it. She's definitely going to be in love with him and I'm going to hate on it. on a mint leaf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go to on a mint leaf somewhere else because I'm <laughs> six here feet, for Adam. Six feet. <laughs> but yeah, as the book went on and you do see Blue being like, oh, when he did this thing, I feel like this is really what he's like. And he's putting on a face for all of these people. And one thing that kind of I go back to a lot, like as I'm reading the other books in the series is in the first book when she talks about him. Um, showing up and he's wearing his wireframe glasses instead of his contacts and i'm just like oh so cute so sweet (laughs) what a nice boy and i i definitely see where you're coming from with liking him more on the second reread and noticing his uh his patterns more yeah that makes sense yeah because i mean he grew up in like the life of luxury, silver spoon in his mouth, right? So you have to put on this whole facade and this personality and whatever, you know? So I totally see that. I do agree with Nikki. At the beginning of the book, I was like, hey, like I'm supposed to be in love with this guy because he's like the love interest of sorts. But then you're like, no, it's not. She's with Adam, you know? Like, <laughs> So I totally, yeah, I can I can see that. I, I hope in the next few books, I hope we learn more about Gansey and get to see his other side more because I think that's why I didn't really connect with him because like, you need to just like, let it go, open up, you know, like, <laughs> please. <laughs> mm-hmm. And maybe it's all just a masterful plan of character development. Maybe we weren't meant to like him at the beginning because he does kind of put on this front that uh, makes him unhuman. That's true. <gasps> oh, you know what? Okay, I just finished Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo. Oh, I love it. Nikki, you're going to love this one. I haven't read it yet. No spoilers. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I won't. I'm just going to say, Gansey reminds me of Kaz in a way because of that. (gasps) Yes. (laughs) Right. Nikki, you're going to love that book. Oh, my God. You're going to freak. It's so fucking good. Like, should I read it next? Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Great. Next question. Are you guys ready? Yeah. So, uh, going along with this Adam versus Gansey, um, they both talk a lot about the favor Glendower will grant, and I think they both kind of have this idea in their minds of what they would ask for, but they don't explicitly say. So, what do you think both of them would ask for? I'm not sure what Gansey would ask for. I know he wants a purpose, but how do you ask for a purpose? You know what I mean? I don't know how I oh, know. Oh my god. But, but I'm, I'm gonna find my, my purpose. purpose. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to cut that out. Because we're like on Zoom. <laughs> like weirdness. We're uh, not in sync. <laughs> yeah, and probably in different keys. Anyways. <laughs> no, but how do you find how do you ask someone, give me a purpose? Because his purpose right now is to find Glendower. So when you find him, what, maybe he'll ask for peace of mind. I don't know. You know, maybe he will ask for uh, for forgiveness for whatever his transgressions. I don't know. Like whether they're, oh my God, I'm getting very like <laughs> spiritual, like hippie dippy, whatever, whatever. I'm trying to figure this out. Maybe he'll ask for forgiveness for like for himself. I don't know. You know, with Adam, I feel like he's going to ask for money or for privilege privilege of ease and comfort and peace of mind maybe for me i think adam and gansey they both want similar things they're just going about it different ways Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i don't did that make any sense i feel like they both want similar things it's just yeah (laughs) 
Mm -hmm. I think that through the first book, Adam's needs or like what he kind of hopes for is definitely more uh, material because he doesn't have a lot of money or anything like that. So he wants like materialistic fulfillment, like financial fulfillment to be able to be stable and safe and live without having all of those extra worries. And I think that Gainsey wants to be able to live, like have that stability and safety and healthy way of living just emotionally. Yes. We're so smart. I know. (laughs) Yeah, those are great answers. Thanks, Tilly. I'm going to abstain because I've read the whole series and I know how everything goes down. I'm so excited to read that. Why do you think that Gansey feels a need to take care of Ronan? What, if anything, does Gansey get out of this seemingly one-sided relationship? Ooh, I do think they touch on um, them being friends before uh, Ronan's father died. So I know I, I have friends that I was really close with when I was younger, and we still talk, even though we don't really have... Um, the same kind of connection, um, obviously not in the same kind of situation as Ronan is in. But um, I think from relationships like that, I can see why he holds on to Ronan so much and why he tries to help him. Um, he clearly has a lot of like tenderness in his heart for Ronan. You can see that with everything that he does. And I think he is just hoping that he can pull him out from whatever he's doing. Like Kelly said before, he's kind of uh, the martyr of the story. He's always kind of looking for something to um, pull back to safety in a way. And um, Mm. Ronan's the perfect candidate for that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why I'm bringing up Harry Potter yet again in this episode, Um, but he just really reminds me of Harry at times because Harry, like, love Harry, love Harry Potter. Um, but he was very, like, martyr. I have to save everyone. I will do this. I will take the brunt, whatever. It has to be me. And a part of me, like, I agree with what you said, Nikki, but also a part of me feels like there's a part of him that is doing it because he's a little selfish, a little bit of, like, he has a bit of too much self-importance in a way. And I think maybe that's just, maybe I'm a bit of an Adam. <laughs> I don't know. Because I don't hate Gansey. I don't. I think he's, there's, I don't see anything really, really wrong with him. I just think we have to take a look at, you know, we all have these faults within us, right? And I think while he does have a close relationship with Ronan, I also do wonder at times if he's like, I will go above and beyond or whatever, because it makes him feel good, which is fine, but it is a little selfish. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make it bad. It's like, yes, please help people. But it's like when people give to charity and then they're like, look what this great thing I did, right? The point of charity is just to give and to help. I'm not saying he's that bad. I'm just saying like, I don't know. I just get the feeling that sometimes it's a bit of like he feels responsible for everyone. And why does he feel responsible for everyone? Who made him the leader of that group? He did. Why can't Ronan be a leader? Why can't Adam be a leader? He probably stood up first and took, I mean, Noah can't be the leader, but now we know why he can't be a leader (laughs) because he did. But (laughs) why did he decide to step up and be the leader out of everyone? I think he's self-important. I think the reason he is kind of the leader of the group is because he's the one that brought them all together. They wouldn't all be friends (laughs) if it wasn't for Gansey because Gansey and Ronan were friends. Mm -hmm. Noah's with Gansey because Gansey wants to find Glendower and Gansey befriended Adam. Mm -hmm. So I don't think Adam would be in the group at all if Gansey wouldn't have scooped him up and brought him there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think, you know, there's you can be selfish and still be good. And sometimes being selfish is good, you know, but Mm -hmm. I just feel like I don't know. I just I don't know. I think it's a mixture of what you said and how I feel about him being like, I have to do it. I have to help everyone. And it's like, okay, but 
you know there's other people who can help as well. You don't have to take all of it on yourself, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Makes sense. Poor Gansy. Like, just take a seat. Let Adam take one for once, you know? Just Or let Noah. Noah Adam and takes Ronan. plenty. <laughs> oh, he does. But Noah and Ronan have a really good relationship, too. So, which I hope to learn more about. Great. Well, that's all I've got. Did we pass, Tilly? <laughs> Did we pass the test? <laughs> oh, it wasn't a test. I just wanted to see discussion. <laughs> okay. But yes, you passed. Yay. Flying colors. What? Are, I mean, hey, if you're listening, let us know in the comments on our Facebook or Instagram, who's your favorite Raven boy? Do you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? We want to know. We are here to discuss. Anything yeah, what's your favorite is- part of the book? Yeah. Do you have a favorite moment, favorite quote, things you didn't like about the book? Let us know. Thanks so much for listening to our very first episode of the Bring Your Own Book podcast. If you enjoyed this and would like to hear more from us, you can head over to our Instagram at BYO Book Podcast or follow us on Facebook at Bring Your Own Book Podcast to keep up to date on what book we'll be reading next. Stay tuned after this to hear the first line of our next read, which is an adult fiction and is surely a story you will never forget. If you think you know what the book is, leave us a comment with your guests and keep an eye out for the reveal. See you next time, and until then, keep on drinking in good stories. Cheers! Next time on BYOB, the Bring Your Own Book podcast. A girl is running for her life.